Welcome back. Uh, it is July, so we are starting a new series. It is going to be called The Exiles. And in this series, I want to talk about Israel when they were in exile. So way back in the Old Testament, uh, when, when Babylon took over Jerusalem, when Babylon drove them out of their home, and they were forced to just live other places. They were forced to live in exile. Uh, and just what that's like. But I want to start first with another time when they were homeless, so to speak, not long after they were freed as slaves, when Moses went in uh, and God, through him, did the ten plagues and then parted the Red Sea. And we all know those stories. I want to talk about what happened in some of the time uh, this week when they were in the desert. And one of the things that I want to start with is there's a phrase that we use, and the title this week goes with that, out of sight, out of mind. You also sometimes hear when the cat's away, the mouse will play. So this week, I want to talk about a time when Moses was talking to God, which is so amazing to think about, that God literally was speaking to Moses up on Mount Sinai, and throughout all of this, Israel was waiting. It is hard to wait. Most of us have now been waiting for 90, 100, 370, I don't know how long we've been in the quarantine, but we've been waiting a long time for normal again, and we still don't know when that will happen, but at this point, uh, the Israelites had been waiting for about 40 days while Moses was talking to God. Now, for me, and I, I don't know because I wasn't there, but I would like to think that if uh, my leader, if my pastor, if somebody that, that was above me in authority was off literally speaking to God and I knew that and God had just taken me through all of these things, that I would be willing to wait however long you have to wait. But when it comes to humanity, whether it's Old Testament or now, we have a lot of trouble with that. And so I want to go with Exodus 32. 1 through 26. When the people saw how long, it how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Now, I, I want to stop there because you can tell a lot about people from the way that they wait, from uh, how long it takes them to go crazy, so to speak, how long it takes them to change their morals, to change who they are. You can tell a lot about people from, from that period of waiting. Uh, one of the things that I say a lot, and I'm not the only one that says this, but when you pray, there are always three answers, always. You're always your prayer is always answered, so it's one of three. It's either yes, which we all love. We love when we're told, yeah, that's going to happen, and you won't have to wait long. It's going to happen now. That's amazing. Uh, that is the easiest one. No, which isn't easy because we don't like being told no, but it's still something where at least we know the answer and we can plan other ways. But then there's wait, which is so hard because when it's wait, we don't know if it's going to be yes or no. We don't know how long we're going to have to wait. It, it can be a very tough thing. And so uh, the Israelites here are waiting. They have been waiting in the desert, waiting to get home, waiting for the promised land, uh, waiting for, for all of these things. They had been waiting in Egypt to be freed. They had been waiting for the plagues to finish, waiting to, to uh, just have a home, like I said. And now they're waiting for Moses to come back. Uh, they had al already gotten the Ten Commandments where God had spoken to Moses and given him these laws, these, these ways to live, these rules, these uh, just ways to be closer to God. And so they knew that when Moses was away, he was talking to God. He was on holy ground. He was doing it for them and God was doing it for them. Now, they ask 
not to uh, rush Moses, not to send somebody to go find him, not to, to call up and be like, hey, dude, you know, you've been a while. Let's get back. Not anything like that. They're like, hey, let's make a new God. Now, that's insane for us to read. And, and it's really crazy for this. Now, we know that they've been through a lot. But let's look at some of the things that God had done for them. Some of the miracles that they'd seen. Uh, and it's, it's a time like the Old Testament and the New Testament during Jesus' time, especially, you see so many miracles. And it's harder to see them now because of technology, because of everything around us, because there's so many people. The miracles still happen, but we see them in such an amazing way, especially in the Old Testament. And like I said, the Israelites had been slaves for a long time. But then there were 10 plagues, 10 crazy plagues, 10 impossible to define plagues, including the death of the firstborn, uh, in which God freed them from that slavery. And then they, they ran, you know, they went away. And then they're in front of the Red Sea. They can't get across. He parts the Red Sea. And then he closes it on their enemies. And then they don't have any food and they complain and they whine. And so he sends manna. They don't have any water. So he takes care of that. Enemies attack him. So they take, he takes care of that. He has clouds of fire. He's all around them talking to them, performing these miracles amazingly, sending them his word, talking through Moses, talking to Moses. And they can't wait they decide, hey, yeah, I know that he's done this for me, and I know that he's done that for me, and I know that we've literally seen his power. You see, they had literal proof of God's existence, and they still could not handle waiting. And I know 40 days is a lot, but it's not really when you compare it to everything else, especially when you compare it to the fact that they literally saw God's power. And so we see humanity. We see how we are. Uh, most of us, all of us, we can go through a good spell, like something good can happen. We can get good grades. We can get that boy or girl that likes you to talk to you. Uh, your parents can be off your case. For parents, your teens can do all the housework for a week, maybe. Uh, you, you can get the promotion. You, you can have just a wonderful day, a wonderful week, and, and it's amazing, and we feel so good, and we feel so close to God. And then all of a sudden, something bad happens. All of a sudden, we're told to stay in our homes and to wear masks. All of a sudden, we're told that life's not what we thought it was. All of a sudden... We're told that life's not perfect, and then we have trouble with that. And most of us do our best to look back on the good, and we're like, okay, now it sucks right now, and this is really hard, but I understand that God has helped me through things before. I understand that bad things have happened before, but in the moment, it's so hard. Now, hopefully, nobody that I'm talking to right now goes out and, and makes golden calves and worships them. Please don't. But we can kind of, as much as we're like, this is insane, they've seen this, we can kind of understand that people are stupid. Uh, we are. We just sometimes get so lost in what we want. We get so lost in the moment. We get so lost in what we expect is the right thing. What we expect is the best thing. Humanity has this amazing ability to shut their eyes, pinch their nose, and just do whatever they want. We all do that from one time or another. And we see the Israelites doing that here. And so now we're going to go to verse 2. So Aaron, which is Moses' brother said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a, a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods we, uh, that, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an, aisle, an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. 
The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan rivalry. Now, it's easy for us to read this and be like, wait, Aaron was the priest. Like, he was God's uh, tongue in, in, in Egypt. Like, he was there with Moses every step of the way. How could he do this? Uh, I, I can't answer for him. I, he was in a different class to me. I didn't really know him that well. But I know that there are thousands of people saying, not calmly, hey, let us do this. And he tries his best. He does make the calf for them, but he says, let's have a festival to the Lord. Let's have a festival to our God. He's trying. He cannot force them. Any more than today, we can force someone to, to do what we say. We can't force someone to follow the, the right faith. We can't. But he, he tries. He does what he can. And you could argue, well, he should have put his life on this. I don't know. I can't make that judgment because I wasn't there at that point. But we can see who they are. We can see that they have now gone from just saying, hey, we're impatient, we can't wait, to let's literally worship other gods and then do everything against the commandments, everything against what God has said. This is where we get into the out of sight. You see, 40 days, again, for us is a long time. We've just been through like a 90-day period or something like that. And we know that it's a long time. And so, but most of us still remember what normal was like. Most of us are still expecting that to come back. And we kind of know, regardless of how long it will come back, we understand that eventually we will have life essentially as it was again. But in these 40 days, they had seen so much of God. And now they are completely turning against it in every way. And this is, again, human nature. And now we can overcome that through him. But it's something that we all kind of do and that we shouldn't do. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I had a science teacher named Mr. Von Dielingen. Um, I hope he's not watching because what I'm about to say, but whatever. Anyway, so he had this rule. He was a, a hardcore guy. Like he was former military and, and he was tough looking. He was tall, like six, four, and he was a little older, but not old, old, and not like me old, but he was able to uh, really have an authority. And so in the science class, he said, anytime I am out of the room, Anyone who talks gets a detention, and I want you guys to tell on each other. Now, you can argue that that turns kids against kids, but we're sixth graders, we're all stupid anyway. And by the way, side note, uh, in sixth grade, I was essentially the same height as I am now. I was amazing at basketball, and then nature took that away from me. But, uh, so Mr. Van Dielingen had this rule. Now, undoubtedly, every time he left the room, eventually someone would talk. Now, the first five minutes, everybody would be quiet uh, because we're scared of him, literally. And everybody would be quiet. We'd read in our books or we'd pass notes or we'd not play on cell phones because those didn't exist. We'd play on calculators or draw or whatever. We'd do something. And then five minutes is such a long time for a sixth grader. Five minutes is such a long time for us sometimes. And so it'd be hard to wait. And so somebody would say something, they'd whisper something. Now, sometimes people didn't tell, but most of the time there was somebody in class that would tell. Uh, and I remember one time, uh, I, for whatever reason, decided I'm gonna talk. Now, I didn't think, hey, you know what, I'm going to test him. I just, something came up, I kind of, he was out of the room for long enough that I hadn't, I kind of forgot that he existed. Uh, and you're like, that's insane, he's a teacher. But you know, it would have been a little bit of time, not 40 days, but it had been a little bit of time. And so I started talking and then like almost immediately, I'm like, oh man, because when someone is out of sight, we kind of forget what we're doing right away if we don't consciously think. 
Uh, that's why when, when parents leave, they will go over emergency numbers and they will go over whatever if they're going to leave their kids alone for an hour, for a day, for a weekend, for a year. However long they're going to leave them, they go over all of the rules. It's not because they don't think that you know them. It's not because they don't think that you understand. It's because they know that they're not going to be there for that period of time. And they know that it's going to get harder and harder with each minute for you to remember, for you to listen. Because out of sight, out of mind. Now, that's crazy because we know that if our parents are gone, they still exist. We know that if our teachers are gone, they still exist. We know that if authority figures are gone, they still exist. But in our minds, we're all still infants and something goes away. And after enough time, we're like, eh, whatever, it's me now. And, and it's so crazy. And by the way, I talked my way out of the tension, so it was all good. But it's, it's what we see in humanity all of the time. Uh, just for example, and I'm not going to go political here, but People can't see a virus. And so it's like, well, you know what? We've been waiting long enough. Let's get back to normal. And you kind of see what's happening there. Or, or people can't see money. And one of the things, one of the dangers with credit cards, and some of us have been there, is you can't see the money come out of your bank account, whether it's a debit card or a credit card. And so you're like, well, I can use this. It's not real. Now, you know in your heart, in your head, in your mind, everywhere else that it's real. But when you're spending that, when you're on Amazon, when you're at Best Buy, when you're at Walmart, wherever else people go, those are the places I go, uh, then, then you're like, hey, you know what? It's just a number. It's not real money, even though you know it, because out of sight, out of mind, and that's what the Israelites are doing here. And it's insane. Again, insane for us to see how much God had done. But think about your own life and how wonderful God has, has done things for you, how much you've been forgiven, how good things have been, how people treat you, all of that. And then when things are bad, when things are hard, we forget it. Out of sight, out of mind. I'm going to continue. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone to my fierce anger, so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say that God rescued them from the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and them, wiping them out on the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever." So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Uh, sometimes when we read, especially in the Old Testament, especially if you're, you're new to reading the Bible, it can be really hard to read some of things like this because it's like, wait, so how God changed his mind? God was angered. God, God was going to destroy his people. Uh, one of the things we have to remember, for one, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, he did it with God's inspiration. He did it from his own uh, witness from him being there, from him speaking to God, and God helped him. But Moses is still a human. And so while it was all true, it's still written from Moses's perspective. So the only way for him to describe God is as a human would describe a human. Uh, it's impossible for us to describe God's actions 
in a godly way because we don't know. We don't have that mind. Uh, and, and I don't want to get super theological, but God exists outside of time. Uh, just to blow your minds, and this is not new, but uh, in the beginning, there was nothing but God. Now, as humans, we can't put our minds around that because we have a beginning and we have an end. And there's a start to the day and there's a start to this and a start to that and an end to this and an end to that. So how could God exist before time? I can't answer that. It, it, it's, it's beyond our comprehension. And because of that, everything about him except his love, his mercy, who he is, is beyond our comprehension. Like the physics, quote unquote, of God are so much more than we can imagine because he invented that concept for us so that life would be understandable for us. So when Moses is writing this, he's not lying, but this is how he perceived it and this is how he understood it because his mind simply couldn't grasp it. But let me kind of put this into perspective for you. Uh, God knew exactly what was going to happen here. God is immortal. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. So it's not like the Israelite, Israelites surprised him by going against him. He knew that. He already knew all of that. And yet, look at how Moses responded. Let's go back a little bit to when Moses was talking to him before the plagues, and God said, hey, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. And Moses was like, I can't do that. I can't speak for my people. I, I, I suck at talking. And, and God's like, no, look, I make your, your tongue. I make I give you what to say. I will help you. And Moses is like, I just can't do it, God. I just, I'm not able to do it. And so Aaron helped him. God gave Aaron the words. And little by little, Moses took the lead a little more. And now he's meeting with God. Now God says, I'm going to kill him. And you just go away and I'll take care of you. And Moses finally stands up as the leader he was supposed to be, the leader God called him to be. And God knew that. God was giving him this opportunity to lead. God already knew what he was going to do. God already had a plan. God already had all of this in mind. Now, there's a difference between knowing everything is going to happen and making it happen because they had free will. And it's so hard to understand. The best way I can put it is if you have a videotape of a movie and wow, I just skewed old. But let's say you have a, a, a DVD of a movie and you watch all of the scenes at once. Uh, we're not going to comprehend everything that's happening, but that's kind of how life is for God. He sees everything at once. It's already happened. And, and so it's already happened but he's there. He doesn't force it to happen because he's given us free will. And yet in this moment, he is saying to Moses, and Moses is understanding this as a human, what Moses needs to hear in order to lead. Uh, and again, this isn't lying. This isn't tricking. This isn't manipulating. This is from Moses's perspective, what God is saying to him and God is showing him how to lead. He's saying, listen, you have talked about what you can't do. And I want you to start talking about what you can do. Because in the waiting time, Moses had probably started to doubt himself too. And he hadn't gone out and, and uh, built an idol, but he had a big anger problem. All the way back to when he was a murderer, he had a big anger problem. And so he kept having an anger problem. And that's actually something that continued in his life. But in this place, he sees what anger looks like. And he sees God showing him who he can be. And so God says, thank you. You are finally standing up. You are finally leading. And so go and lead, dude. And so we go to the next part. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people, 
uh, shouting down below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory nor wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets on the ground, smashing them on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. When I was first starting to play tennis, uh, before I joined the tennis team my junior year in high school, uh, if you want to look at my stats apparently, but when I first started to learn how to play tennis by myself or with my friends, I uh, started with an old wooden tennis racket, which was my mom's. And I don't know if you've played tennis, but playing with an old wooden tennis racket is not very easy to do. And so uh, I would sometimes throw that racket in anger because I would miss hit a shot or because I would hit it too far, or whatever reason, I'd miss it. And, and so as I got a better racket, I still kept that wooden racket with me to throw. And that's ridiculous, but hey, John McEnroe's a tennis player. And I was very young. This was before I got a handle on my anger. And my point is, eventually I broke that racket, and so I didn't have it anymore. Uh, I have had friends who have thrown their video game controllers in anger. I have known people who have thrown the remote controls in anger and broke them uh, and, and, and shattered the TV and, and all of these awful things. Uh, we've seen people react in anger like that. And so Moses here is doing that. He's throwing a fit. Now, it's justified in a way. But he then sins in his anger. And the reason I bring this up, the reason that I'm reading this part, is because Moses also was not perfect. But Moses was continuing to try. He understood his flaws and he was trying to give them to God. And God was leading him along the way. But he was working on it and he screwed up. He messed up sometimes. And here he throws them down and breaks them. Now, if you think a controller is hard to replace, or you think a, a, a old tennis racket or a remote control or a TV are hard to replace... This is the word of God that he shatters. Now, that's something between him and God that he deals with over time. But in this moment, what Joshua saw, what others around him saw was like, whoa, we are busted. We are in trouble. Now, Joshua hadn't taken part in the, the, the celebration, but we are busted because Moses was so angry. Moses had sacrificed so much. Now, Moses also was angry at himself. Because Moses, all along, from the moment that he murdered someone through now, did not think he was enough. Even when he's standing up to God and saying, hey, give them another chance, he still didn't quite believe in himself. And that's something that I know intimately what it feels like. You never quite feel enough. You never quite feel like you're worth it. You're always kind of expecting the rug to be pulled out. You're always kind of expecting people to say, oh, I get it. Like, this guy sucks. Like, I'm going to walk away now. You're always kind of feeling that way. And so Moses was angry at the Israelites. He was angry at himself. He was just angry at being angry. And so he threw it down. And then we go to the next part. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us down uh, from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And 
all the Levites gathered around him. Uh, Aaron's explanation is kind of like if you were a kid and you're trying to get a bunch of cookies and you've got your hand stuck in the jar because there's 50 cookies in your hand. Terry was just telling me this happened at home before he came here. And there's like 50 cookies stuck in your hand and you're in the little jar and, and you can't get it out. And so you kind of shake it and then you accidentally break the jar. And then like somebody comes in and they're like, hey, what happened to the jar? I don't know. It must have fallen. Uh, that's kind of what Aaron is saying when he's saying, I threw this stuff in the fire and out came this calf. Uh, and so one of the things that we see in this story is that Aaron and Moses and the Israelites they all messed up. Now, they messed up in different ways and, and different volumes of ways. The Israelites turned against God, some of them, not all of them. Uh, Aaron, again, you can argue what he should or shouldn't have done, but he still was not perfect in this. He still had a part in it. And Moses, his anger had gotten in the way. Now, there's also good on Aaron and Moses. There's also things that they did to lead, and they went from here and improved on themselves. But my point is, you're not going to be perfect. This is one of the things that I've kind of said in the last series and a couple different series but you're not going to be perfect. That does not mean, hey, I can go do what I want because I'm not going to be perfect. And Jeff said that I'm, eventually, I'm sometimes going to screw up so I can just go screw up and do it on purpose and do whatever I want. No, no, no. Last week, we talked about the fact you don't know how long your life is. You don't know how long you have in someone's life. So you don't want to mess with that. That does not mean that you're going to be perfect, though. It means that as hard as you try, Sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes, like Aaron, you're going to give in on something you shouldn't have, and you're going to have to make it right. Uh, and sometimes it's going to hurt other people. Sometimes, like Moses, you're going to have anger, or you're going to have worry, or you're going to have stress, and it's going to affect how you act. Uh, hopefully, you can learn, though, from the Israelites, because as much as what Aaron and Moses did is wrong in those ways, they turned against God. There's a huge difference between saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, and saying, you know what, I give up on God. Uh, do not ever let yourself get to that. And if you do mess up, if you do, when you do mess up, when you do have a bad day, when you do have a problem, stop and say, okay, okay, so what has God done for me? Now, this is where the Israelites really messed up because they should have done this. What has my life been like? What is good in my life? What is important in my life? What, who loves me? Now, I have definitely been there where you can say who loves me and you can say nobody because you feel like that. But honestly, force yourself to stand there and say, who loves me? Who is in my life? Who do I love? Who matters to me? What matters to me? And think about the good. That does not mean there is no bad, but think about that and then say, okay, what do I do from here? How can I make this right? How can I move forward? And both Moses and Aaron had to deal with this as they went. But the Israelites who, who went against God, they died because they went against him, and so they were weeded out. Now, again, this is another thing where you look at the Old Testament, you're like, whoa, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't who God is. Yes, yes, yes. Because this is a point in history where there are like thousands of people, not billions of people. And so what happens was meant for everyone to, to learn from, to go forward. And so it was just different. And I understand that that's not a great explanation, but it's true. It was different. And it does not mean that God didn't love them. It does not mean that God changed. It means that we are learning from history here. And it means that we see what happened when they turned completely against God. Now, it wasn't like they had no warnings because they'd screwed up a ton before this. And it wasn't like there was no expectation they'd gotten the Ten Commandments. They had God's voice. They had seen the Red Sea parted. They had seen food appear as if from nowhere. They had seen all of this, and then they still turned from God. 
Most of us have not seen the miracles that they have seen, but we have felt his love. We have felt his grace. We have felt good. Uh, Some of us have worse lives than others. Some of us have more anxiety, more depression. Some of us have different things that we deal with. Some of us have worse home lives, and I get that. Some of us have financial problems. Some of us have job problems, school problems, personal problems, whatever. I get that. But there is always hope as long as there is life. That's something that I say a lot. And I also say always keep fighting. But, but what I am saying here is when we look at this before the exile, when Israel is on the run, when Israel is away from home, what failed them was not the fact that Moses took 40 days. What failed them was not Moses' anger. What failed them was not Aaron. What failed them was the fact that because they were tired of waiting, they gave up. Because they were tired of things not being the way that they wanted, they gave up. In your life, whether it's a quarantine or a long time for a teacher to grade an assignment or a research paper that takes forever or a job that is never going anywhere as far as you're concerned or a a relationship that's very difficult, whatever it is, waiting is a part of it. And you're going to have moments where it's out of sight, out of mind, where you don't necessarily see God's hand, where you don't necessarily feel God's hand. I've talked about a point in my life where I went through such a dark depression that I could not feel God and I could not see his, his evidence. I couldn't see any of that. And I was giving up, not just on me, but on my life. And yet I did not give up on him. And I'm not going to take the credit for that. It's the way I was raised and my relationship still stayed. It, it was straining, but I didn't give up. Uh, And so eventually I was able to see, oh, he still loves me and I can go from here. Now, I'm not perfect now and and I still have depression times and I still have anxiety times and all of that. But I can look back at that point in time and say, oh, at a time where I didn't see God, where it seemed like it was 40 days with nothing, he was there leading me, helping me to understand things that other youth pastors may not understand, helping me to, to learn, helping me to grow, helping me to be better. And so I understand looking back. So try that. Like, look back at the times when are the worst in your life. And I'm not saying be happy that you got hurt, be happy that you went through pain, be happy that you lost someone, but say, okay, what did I learn here? And then take that with you as you go forward and continue to look at him as you go forward. Because even though we may not see him, even though he may be out of our sight, we are always in his. Because he always loves us and he never gives up on us. Any time, any time that someone turns away from God, that's not him turning away from them. Even in this moment, he didn't turn away from them. They turned away from him. And so to learn from this, and as we go into the exile story, to learn from this, recognize that your life is not always going to be perfect and there are going to be times that you have to wait for what you think you deserve right then for the way life you think should be right then God is still there I don't know what he's teaching you I don't know what lessons you're learning but he's still there and so if you keep going forward you keep moving forward you keep looking to him don't build calves don't give up on him don't give up on yourself Don't give up on your family. Keep going forward. Keep looking to him and keep remembering that even when we can't see him, he still sees us. Even when we can't feel him, he still is there helping us, giving us, asking for us to look at him. So just keep doing that. And life will get hard. And I wish I could tell you it wouldn't. And you're going to have to wait for things. And I wish I could tell you that you wouldn't have to, but you will. And yet God will be there. So do your best to keep looking to him. Do your best to not give in to the anger, to not give in to the jealousy, to not give in to the whatever it is. And to just look at him, to keep moving forward. And when you do mess up, 
Say, God, help me to not do this again. Help me to do better. Help me to go forward. Help me to see you when I feel like I can't. And I believe that you can do that because that's the God that we serve. A forgiving, a loving, a merciful God. A God who has taught us through generations. So do your best as you go forward to always look to Him. No matter what is looking at you around you. No matter what is around you. No matter what storms are around you. And just keep going forward with your eyes on Him. That's all I got.